Hello and welcome to Podcast by Brodies. My name's David Lee and in this podcast, part of the Health and Safety series, we discuss the aftermath of major health and safety incidents and what happens from a legal perspective. A major health and safety incident could affect any organisation at any time. As well as being very distressing for all involved, it can also cause repercussions for years to come through lengthy investigations by the authorities, potential legal action and possible reputational damage. We're covering this topic in two parts and in part one I'm joined by two Brodies experts to discuss what happens when a call comes in about a serious health and safety incident and how Brodies then responds. For part one today I'm joined by Paul Marshall and Ramsey Hall to give their expert views drawing on their personal experience of real-life cases on how best to manage what can be an extremely demanding and stressful time for any organisation. Paul is a partner who leads Brodie's Corporate Crime and Investigations Practice Group and specialises in crisis management, while Ramsey is a legal director who's also a member of the Corporate Crime and Investigations Practice Group. Welcome to you both. And first of all, Paul, if I can come to you, what do we mean when we talk about health and safety incidents? Thanks, David. Uh, well, I would say any event happening in a workplace which gives rise to the risk to health and safety of people who are there. So that could be people who are working in that location or it could be members of the public. And what's important to note is the event might result in harm, but that's not necessary. It's the risk to harm that's important here where an event gives rise to a risk to harm, that's a health and safety event or incident. Okay. And Ramsey, you know, give us some examples. What are the kind of common causes of this type of incident? Thanks, David. So annual statistics have been produced by the key regulator. That's the Health and Safety Executive, and they're commonly known as HSE. And HSE's statistics explain that the most common causes of incidents are working at height, interaction with machinery such as being struck by a moving vehicle for instance, manual handling and then slips and trips. And I think it's worth noting in that context that 135 workers uh, were killed in work-related accidents in the period 2022 to 2023 with approximately 565,000 workers sustaining an injury at work. The HSE statistics also show that certain sectors are more likely to experience health and safety incidents than others. So construction, agriculture, food and drink and manufacturing are at the top of the list. Okay, so uh, all the way, Ramsey, from, you know, you said 135 deaths in the last recording period, but 565,000 injuries. So this is something, this is not something that's happening in isolation to a, f a few organisations. It's something that's right across the board of all organisations. It will happen um, in sectors every single day of the working week, David. So it's it's not unique to one particular sector. It happens across the board. Okay, thanks very much. And Paul, let's assume your organisation has one of these incidents, where do you start? What are the first actions you should take when an incident happens? Yes, so the first thing is you should have a plan. So you, it would be a terrible thing if an event happens and you don't know what you're going to do next. So you must have a plan. And there'll be some basic things that that plan should cover. So you'll want to make sure you're taking care of the people who are involved in the incident. 
and that might be the people who are injured or those who are witnesses to the incident. You want to make sure the area where the incident happens is made safe, and that will involve probably collaborating with or working with regulators because they'll be on the scene very early. So because that will be the case, you'll want to have important communications. So that's not just with the regulator, but with employees, shareholders, customers, your supply chain, people who are going to become aware of this incident and identify that it's relevant to them. You must have a plan for communications with those stakeholders. You will want to investigate. So the regulator will have a team on the ground early investigating, but it's really important for an organisation to have a good handle itself on what has happened. And often your team will have the people with the expertise to most quickly understand what has happened. So you want a team of experts on the ground who can understand what has happened. And they should be working to some set instructions. So it's not, it's not, they shouldn't be detectives who are just trying to follow clues. They should have a term of reference, which is saying, here's what's expected of you. And then beyond that, those immediate actions, you'll start to look at the medium term of uh, communications with interested parties going forward and ongoing cooperation with the regulator. Okay. And we'll pick up on some of those points you've made there, Paul. But just to come back to your very first point, have a plan. You must have seen over the years a very varied range of uh, good and not so good pre-planning. What, what's what's the typical situation if you come in? Do most organisations have a good incident plan in place? Most do not. And that's because you're hoping that the worst doesn't happen. So most organisations may have something. Most of the time, it will not have been tested. And I suppose you can think about it from one end of the spectrum or the other. A very, very detailed um, chapter and verse plan that your people can't understand or never look at or won't follow, well, that won't work. Equally, a one-page document with no real instruction or guidance won't work either. So probably the best advice there is, you know your people, you know your organisation, you know what they respond to, draft something, have something that they will be able to engage with. Okay, that's great. And we'll come back to some of those other points that you, you mentioned later on. First of all, to come to you, Ramsey, uh, regulators. Uh, Paul mentioned the regulators there. Who's involved after an incident happens? Who are these regulators that will come in and investigate a health and safety incident? And I guess very pertinently from an organisational point of view, what powers do they have? Thanks, David. So, so HSE, the health and safety executive, are the, are the key regulator in this space. HSE also work with other authorities. So, for instance, in the event of a fatality following a health and safety incident, HSE and, and the police authority will conduct a joint investigation. And you, you also asked, David, about the powers of regulators. So HSE have their own statutory powers, and that includes entering premises, directing that certain areas are left undisturbed, taking photographs, measurements, samples, seizing information, including documentation, and then asking questions. And, and just on the asking questions point, it's really important to be aware that there's a difference between someone answering HSE questions voluntarily or being compelled to do so. Now, a compelled interview is sometimes called a Section 20 interview. And the reason that's important to, to mention is because it's important to understand that whether an interview is compelled or not, 
um, impacts the way in which HSE can use the answers provided. The sensible course of action is to take legal advice on the point before any HSE interview. Okay, just to go into that in a bit more detail, Paul, you know, what's your kind of practical advice about how an organisation that finds itself in this situation should engage with the regulator when the investigation is ongoing? Yeah, so as Ramsey said, there are statutory powers the regulators have, like the HSE, for example. So probably the best way for an organisation to think about it is this is free-for-all. There are rules, and the rules govern how a regulator can act, and the rules also govern how the organisation can act. So yes, and this will feel like common sense and fair play, when something serious has happened, a regulator has the right to come in and understand what has happened and ask basic questions to, to get a basic understanding of the event or the incident. And as Ramsey said before, David, that's where ideas like compelling information from witnesses can, can come into play. Um, but if you're the organisation on the other side of that, you'll want to cooperate in an appropriate way with the regulator. So yes, having legal advice to understand what powers the regulators are relying upon is important. Because you may, as a matter of law, require to provide certain information, but other information may be above and beyond that. And you might still choose to give that information to the regulator, but it's really important you're making conscious decisions and not feeling like you're being compelled to produce a whole lot of material. So take legal advice. Keep a good record of your engagement. So if you're producing material, evidence, information, make sure that there's a good record kept so that in two months' time you know what you have and have not done, what engagement you've had. And be alive to the fact that cooperation will not just be in the few days after the incident. The cooperation with the regulator will go on for some time. Uh, it could be a year, it could be more. Now, ideally, you will have people on the ground who have relationships with the regulators already because in many sectors... The regulator doesn't just come in when, when a serious event happens. They have an ongoing supervisory role. So often you will have t people in your teams on the ground who have those good working relationships. Um, that's fantastic. But what you should be doing in, after an event or incident is making sure that communications with regulators are carefully managed so the organisation knows what information is going across and at any moment in time understands who is talking to the regulator. Okay. And Ramsey, what about the communication going the other way? What about talking to your staff? Obviously, if an event of this nature happens, uh, there's a lot of chatter in the office. How should an organisation be communicating to its own team about what's happened? What should be said and maybe what shouldn't be said? Absolutely, David. And this is a really important point. So, so engaging with employees, particularly those close to an injured colleague, is, is very important and can be difficult. So my, my, my first recommendation is that an organisation should engage in a calm and professional manner, explaining that a thorough investigation will be undertaken, that employees may be asked to cooperate with that investigation, and that as Paul's flagged, the, the entire investigation may take a significant period of time, months, perhaps years. Probably also worth identifying at the outset a point of contact within the organisation to handle questions from employees, so to bring some structure to the queries that will be coming from employees. Vital to explain 
to employees in a professional manner that they don't discuss the incident or the investigation into the incident with any third parties, that everything as far as possible stays within the organisation. Okay, thanks very much. And and again, Paul, to flip that around, what about that external communication? I mean, particularly if the media comes calling, for example, if we're talking about a serious incident, you know, how should that external communication be handled to try and avoid or at least kind of mitigate against potential reputational damage? Of course, really important. So as I mentioned at the outset, having a plan is key here. Uh, and it's the same with external communications. Most organisations will possibly have regular communications they make with the media or with third parties, but you will not be um, familiar with communications following crisis events. And for that reason, it's really important, again, to have that rule book or playbook in advance so that you know in the event the bad thing happens how you're going to communicate. So as much as possible, there should be a structure where this is written down. Now, um, any media strategy here needs to be alive to the risk of communication. And all the way through, you'll be competing with, you want to make people, employees, third parties, you want to make them aware of what's happening. Equally, you can't communicate in a way which exposes the organisation criticism or or, or um, more serious consequences, and I'll give you some examples of that. When an incident has just happened, there's usually a tremendous pressure on an organisation to, quote, get ahead of the the curve or get its message out there. The problem with that instinct is that in the first few hours, possibly even days after an incident, you probably will not have a complete grasp of what has happened. You won't have all the relevant evidence. So the danger there is making communications in good faith in the early stages, which turn out later to be inaccurate. And that's a really negative place to be. So I think caution, if you want to communicate early, be cautious about what you know and what you can say safely. In a similar way, if there's a regulator like the health and safety executive on the ground and they are literally um, looking and inspecting what has happened, you really want to take care that you're not putting out communications which are designed to influence or may appear to be designed to influence the investigation or or direct the HSE or criticise the regulator in some way. It's really a negative place to be. That won't end well for the organisation. It will put the relationship with the regulator under pressure and it will have the opposite of the effect of achieving the best outcome that you're looking for. Um, so those those two points, the early stages and the dealing with the HSE or managing um, communications while HSE are, are at your, your premises, they're really short to medium term. The medium to long term piece is, um, unfortunately, if the matter results in the court process, and I know we'll look at that in, in separate sessions later, if there's a court process and there's a prosecution um, following from this incident, you really need to be very careful as an organisation that you're not making public statements which might be perceived as interfering with that court process. At its worst end, um, you can you can end up in a situation where the organisation or individuals connected with the organisation are, are guilty of contempt of court or are viewed as being at risk of contempt of court if you're disrespecting the court process by putting your own messages out there. 
So really, really careful um, if there's an ongoing process not to do anything that might criticise it. So my basic principles are have an agreed message in your, your media plan at each stage of the process. That's outgoing messages. For incoming messages or inquiries from the media, have a single point of contact or single team who are going to take all those um, requests for information and then make sure that everyone else, and this goes back to a point Ramsey made earlier, make sure that everyone else in the organisation knows if they're contacted, they need to send that contact to that central team. And as I said, avoid uh, communications that are about the substance or the detail of the incident during a live process, a live court process. Great stuff. Thanks very much, Paul. Very, very helpful there. And and Ramsey, we're very much talking constantly about internal, external here. We've talked quite a bit about the external investigation that's going on and how to respond to that. What are the advantages of actually carrying out your own internal investigation into what's happened and how should you go about structuring that? Yeah, so there, there are several benefits, David, to carrying out an internal investigation. First, it creates an opportunity to understand why an incident occurred. And on that basis, corrective action can be taken to remedy any issues quickly and proactively. Secondly, any remedial action taken will demonstrate to a regulator like the health and safety executive that the business is operating in a responsible manner and is committed to its regulatory obligations. And, And then third and finally, in the event of enforcement action, that Paul spoke about, conducting an internal investigation and taking action to address the issues identified will be helpful mitigation that will help lower any penalty to be imposed. And then turning to to the structure that you asked about, David, it's vitally important to have a clear plan in place before embarking on an internal investigation. And and in that respect, I'd say that there are three key points for an organisation to have. First, record the focus of of the investigation and the steps that will be taken as part of it. And one way to do that is to have a terms of reference document setting out the scope and the focus of the investigation. That helps to ensure that the organisation has a focused and um, that the investigation stays on track. Second, identify an investigation team. This is really important. Having the right team in place to carry out an investigation will help ensure that it's productive. And the team should include someone with health and safety expertise, so perhaps a compliance manager. It should also have someone with an understanding of the project or the activity in which the incident occurred, and that might be, for instance, a site agent. And then finally, there's also normally be oversight from a senior part of the business, director-level involvement, for instance. In terms of the role of external legal support in connection with the conduct of an investigation, we have experience of conducting investigations on behalf of businesses following incidents. In addition to using our experience to help guide an investigation, the benefit of legal involvement is that provided an investigation is structured in the right way, legal privilege can apply to the material produced in the course of an investigation. So, for instance, an investigation report. And what that means is that the business cannot be required to produce that material. So, for instance, it's not required to produce that material to HSE unless the business chooses to do so. 
And again, on the other side of the coin, back to the uh, external, back to the regulators, Ramsey, we've touched on this a little bit, but what are those options that are open to the regulators when their investigation is concluded? Yeah, so they have several um, options. First, either during the course of or at the end of their investigation, they can issue notices and those notices can either require certain improvements or prohibit certain works. Those notices can be challenged by way of an appeal. Um, Second, at the conclusion of the investigation, HSE will decide either to take no formal action or to report matters to the prosecution body. And in Scotland, the sole prosecutors called the Crown Office and the Procurator Fiscal Service are often referred to as the Crown. If HSE identify a health and safety breach, they'll issue what's called a Notice of Contravention, which is in essence a letter from HSE to the business explaining the breach that they've identified. HSE will then report to the Crown recommending a prosecution um, in respect of the breach that they've identified. The Crown who are the prosecution body in Scotland, has a specialist health and safety team who receive reports from HSE and they decide whether to raise prosecution proceedings. Paul, we will we'll go into some of those next steps, if you like, that, that Ramsey's just covered there, what follows on in, in part two. But just to wrap up and to summarise, what's your overall advice to any organisation caught up in a health and safety incident And what approach in your experience characterises those who respond most effectively? What are, what's the good practice that you see? I think you have to start from recognising that any health and safety incident will be a significant event for for a business or an organisation. It shouldn't be part of their day-to-day operation. It will be remarkable. It will be disruptive of a significant impact. And then the reassurance to try and apply there is that, as I mentioned earlier, the health and safety regime provides a framework that's going to help the business navigate through that event or incident. If you know the if you know the framework, it's going to put you in a good position to, to navigate and come out the other side wiser, I think, is the best way to put it. Because it, it gives a framework for the regulators to work with. It provides safeguards to the organisation to help you cooperate. So I think number one, make sure you've got a team, not a team from within the business and out with the business. Make sure you've got that team supporting you that knows the framework and you're clear on a process. And then you can trust the process and you can you can then work in a positive way within that process. Um, really, really important piece is learning lessons from the instant so that you do emerge wiser, as I've said. What what is often the starting point and it's the worst thing to do but it's the most human thing to do is to when something bad happens you want to move on shrug it off brush it away minimize it because it that's not success that's something challenging success so you want to move beyond it but if you if you do that without learning the lessons that usually leads to the poorest outcome for your organization and it puts you at risk of future events or incidents so it is that truism of there is an opportunity out of that crisis situation to, to learn and, and make your organisation better. So some final takeaways from me. Do make sure you investigate to understand what has happened. Don't um, don't go with, and we sometimes, Ramsey and I sometimes see this, don't go with the easiest answer or the, the quickest answer to try and get beyond it because if that's just scraping the surface of what has caused the instant, you're going to face something similar in future. 
So be be clear about getting a full understanding of what has happened, because then you can stop it from happening again. Don't view the regulators as, as an enemy or someone not to be trusted, but engage constructively with them within that framework I mentioned. If you learn the lessons of what has happened, you can make improvements that really put your organization in a better place going forward. And all the way through, and this is a really tough bit, do communicate in an appropriate way with everyone um, who has an interest. So the, the regulator, your own employees, people in your supply chain, other stakeholders, the, the real trick there is being able, or the challenge there, I should say, is being able to keep your doors open, communicate in a positive way while dealing with what's a really um, traumatic and demanding situation. But if you can do all of that and come out of the other side, uh, we often see that businesses and organizations really um, are able to be positive after the event and um, feel that they have uh, what matured, matured to the process, is how I'd put it. Okay, great stuff. Thank you very much indeed to Paul Marshall uh, and to Ramsey Hall for their excellent insights today. Um, Paul summarised very well there, but just listening there, have a plan at the very beginning. Don't dive in, take your time, communicate clearly with everybody, have specific points of contact and above all else, learn lessons and of course, take good legal advice. Um, you've been listening to podcast by Brodies, where some of the country's leading lawyers and special guests share their enlightened thinking about important issues and current developments having an impact on the legal sector and what that means for organisations, businesses and individuals across the various sectors of the UK economy and wider society. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe to podcast by Brodies, which you can find by searching all of the main podcast platforms. And for more information and insights, please visit www.brodies.com. Hold up. 